Section 8 of Old Rail Fence Corners. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Phil Schempf. Old Rail Fence Corners. Edited by Lucy Leavenworth Wilder Morris. Mr. Reuben Robinson, 1850. Mr. Reuben Robinson, 95 years old, says, I came to St. Anthony and worked at the mill near St. Anthony Falls. A fine bathing place had been discovered near the mill and was much used by the few women and men of St. Anthony who came over in boats for the purpose. One day when I was at work, I heard hollering and thought someone must have gone beyond his depth. I went out and looked around, saw nobody but still heard the calling. I finally looked at a pile of logs near the falls and there saw a man who was calling for help. I threw a rope to him several times, which he finally was able to grasp, and I hauled him in hand over hand. His clothing was all wet and bedraggled, but a straw hat was still on his head, although it was so wet that the green band had run into the straw. No trace of his boat was ever found. As soon as he landed, he took a whiskey flask from his pocket and took a long pole, which disgusted me very much. I discovered that these long poles were what was accountable for his trouble, as he had taken a boat when he was drunk and had gone too near the falls. When we came through Chicago, the mud was up to the hubs everywhere. Much of the time, the bottom of the stage was scraping it. In one deep hole, where the old road had been, a big scantling stuck up with these words painted on it. They leave all hope who enter here. I remember killing a snake over seven feet long down near Minnehaha Falls. Snakes were very abundant at that time. When I was in the Indian War, one of the Indian scouts showed me how to find the Indians' underground storehouses. Only an Indian could find these. The soldiers had hunted for days without success, but the Indians succeeded in a short time, and found a community storehouse holding several hundred bushels of corn. This was six feet under the ground and looked exactly like the rest of the ground, except that in the center a small tuft of grass was left, which to the initiated showed the place. I had a serious lung trouble and was supposed to have consumption as I was always coughing. After I was married, my wife induced me to take the water cure. She kept me wrapped in wet sheets for several days. At the end of that time, an abscess of the lungs was relieved and my cough was cured. This climate has cured many of lung trouble. I have to laugh when I think how green I was about these western places. Before I left my old home at Troy, New York, I bought $12 worth of fishing tackle and a gun, also quantities of cartridges. I never used any of them, for the things here were much more up to date. When I went to church, I was astonished. I never saw more feathers and fancy dressing anywhere. In 1860, Hogs were two dollars a hundred, and potatoes fourteen cents a bushel. Mrs. Samuel B. Dresser, 1850 We took a steamer from Galena to Stillwater, as everyone did in those days. They were paying the Sioux Indians at Red Wing. A noble-looking chief, in a white blanket-colored band with eagle feathers colored and beautifully worked buckskin shirt, leggings, and moccasins was among them. He stands out in my mind as the most striking figure I ever saw. There was so much majesty in his look. We took a bateau from Stillwater to Klaus Creek. My uncle came the year before and had a blockhouse where Troutmere now is, 
four miles from Osceola, and we visited him. A little later, when I was seven years old, we went to Taylor's Falls, Minnesota, to live. There were only three houses there. We rented one end of a double block house, and school was held in the other end. Our first teacher in 51 and 52 was Susie Thompson. There were 35 scholars from St. Croix Falls and our own town. Boats came up the river to Taylor's Falls on regular trips. In our house there was a large fireplace with crane hooks to cook on. These hooks were set in the brick. We hung anything we wanted to cook on them. The fire was directly under them. My mother brought a crane that was a part of andirons with her, but we never used that. I was married when I was sixteen. My husband built a house the next year. The shingles were made by hand and lasted forty years. The enamel paint came from St. Louis and was as good as new fifty years afterward. The paper, too, which was a white background with long columns of flowers depending from the top, was good for forty years. In Osceola there was a grist mill that cracked the grain. The Dell's house looks the same now as it did in 52, when I first remember it. In 52, I saw a party of Chippewa Indians hiding in the rough ground near Taylor's Falls. They said they were going to fight the Sioux. Some white men came and drove them away. They killed a Chippewa. A Sioux warrior, looking for Chippewa scalps, found the dead Indian, skinned his whole head, and rode away with the white men, with the scalp in his hand, whooping and hollering. There was a road from Point Douglas through Taylor's Falls to Fond du Lac. It went through Stillwater and Sunrise Prairie, too. I used to watch it as the Indians passed back and forth on it, and wish I could go to the end of it. It seemed to me that adventure waited there. We used to go to dances, and dance the three-step waltz, and the French four, with circle of fours all around the room, and many other old-style dances, too. We put in all the pretty fancy steps in the cotillion. No prettier sight could be than a young girl with arms circled above her head, jigging on the corners. My wedding dress was a white muslin, made very full around the bottom, and plaited in at the waist. My traveling dress was made the same. It was brown and white shepherd check, and had eight breadths of twenty-seven-inch silk. That silk was in constant wear for fifty years and if it was not all cut up, would be just as good today. My shoes were brown cloth to match, and had five or six buttons. I had another pair that laced up on the outside. Nothing has ever fitted the foot like those side-laced shoes. My traveling cape was of black net with bands of silk, very ample-looking. I wore a white straw bonnet, trimmed with lavender. The strings were white lute-string, and the flowers in front of that flaring rim were small and dainty-looking. There was a wreath of them on the crown, too. When I tied this bonnet on, I felt very grown up for a sixteen-year-old bride. Mr. Luther Webb, Indian agent, used to visit us often. The Indians were always very curious, and spent much of the time before our windows watching everything we did. In time, we were as calm with those glittering black eyes on us as we would have been if a gentle old cow had been looking in. Mrs. Rufus Farnham, 1850 I moved to the farm on what is now Lindale Avenue North sixty-four years ago. The Red River carts used to pass along between my home and the river, but I was always holding a baby under one arm and drawing water from the well, so could not tell which way they went. I only saw them when they were straight in front of me. Women in those days never had time to look at anything but work. 
Sugar came in a large cone. It was cracked off when needed. When purchased, a blue paper was wrapped around it. This, when boiled, made a dye of a lovely lavender shade. It was used to dye all the delicate fabrics, like fringe or silk crepe. I have a silk shawl, which I dyed in this way in 56, that still retains its color. Later I paid 50 cents for three teacups of sugar. This just filled a sugar bowl. My mother used to live on First Street North. Once, when I was spending the day with her, a dog sled from Fort Garry, now Winnipeg, passed the house. There were never many of these after we came, for it seemed that the Red River carts had taken their places. There were six dogs to this team. They laid down and hollered just in front of the house. I suppose they were all tired out. The half-breed driver took his long rawhide whip and gave them a few cracks, and they got up and went whimpering on to St. Paul. When they were rested, they would come back from St. Paul like the wind. It took only a few days for them to come and go, to and from the fort, while it took the carts many weeks. The drivers would have a suit of skins with the hair inside. They never forgot a bright-colored sash. A bridal couple came with a dog team once, after I moved here, but the sled I saw only had a load of fine furs. I made sour emptyings bread. Very few could make it. I stirred flour, sugar, and water together until it was a little thicker than milk, and then set it aside to sour. When it was thoroughly sour, I put in my saleratus, shortening, and flour enough to make it stiff. It took judgment to make this bread, but everyone thought there was nothing like it. Captain John Vanderhork, 1850. I always relied on an Indian, just as I did on a white man, and never found my confidence misplaced. I often went hunting with them on the sloughs out of St. Paul. Game was very plentiful. My Indian companion and I would both have a gun. He would paddle the frail canoe. We would see the game. Bang would go my gun. Bang would go his. I would be loading while he was shooting. All game was plenty, plenty. Well, I remember the woodcock, long bill, big, big eyes. Look at you so trustingly, I never could shoot them. There were such mighty flocks of ducks and geese in season that their flight would sound like a train of cars does now. Once I went deer hunting and saw six does. They turned their beautiful faces towards me and showed no fear. I could not shoot them. I have seen strings of those Red River carts, and many, many in a string, loaded with furs coming from Fort Garry or Pembina. End of section 8